I think now that a lot of these conversations are in the mainstream, so even people who before would reject the idea of privilege are now having to acknowledge it. They're now having to discuss it. And the fact that people are even having those conversations lends itself to um, a more kind of democratic way of communication and those groups no longer feeling that they aren't listened to. And so how does the debate end? Does it end in practical action? We're Eggshells, the podcast exploring disagreement and how to do it better. We ask how we can make difficult conversations easier to have by exploring solutions to the challenges we all face when having them. Hannah Leach. Lizzie Bourne. How's it going? It's going very well, thank you. Good. Yeah. It's actually been some time since we've been recording together. It feels like it's been an age. Yeah, because we sort of record these in blocks, admittedly, don't we? Yeah. So um, this is the first time we've got together. Yeah. In Yeah, in a little while. Yeah. Since that last block, I moved to Scotland. Oh, yeah. You did. Well, that's where we are now. Which is where we are now. <laughs> but I'm saying, oh, yeah. Not because I didn't know you lived in Scotland, <laughs> because I'm literally currently in your house. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm rather saying that because, of course, that has been since we last got together to record. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been... Uh, How's Scotland? How's Scotland, Hannah? It's... Amazing. I love it. It has been, not going to lie, a harsh winter. Mm. I was warned by many people. They were like, you're moving to Scotland at the beginning of their winter. No, I mean, on paper, it makes no sense. Yes, I know. However, I made it through the bleak midwinter. You did. And now we're in spring. And my God, the weather for the last week has been glorious. Um, Spring really has sprung. Yeah. And I just am having a really great time in this amazing city. So good. I'm so pleased to hear it. Yay for Glasgow. Yay. (laughs) Well, I hope we get to check out a little bit of it while I'm up here as well. Okay, good. But first of all, we've got to talk about power and privilege. Yeah. Well, topic of power and privilege at the moment, you know, I'm glad we started this podcast on a high note, thinking about spring and positive movements in one's life. But (laughs) my God, is there stuff to be anxious about at the moment? Now, this episode isn't really going to head on meet stuff that's happening at the moment, especially to do with grand power imbalances in the world. Uh, But Mm -hmm. hopefully some of the things that we talk about are at least going to be relevant and thought-provoking I hope yeah it's important to think about Mm -hmm. the relationship between power and privilege as well and I hope that you listened to Liz Let Swallow's episode which we released two weeks ago she's an incredible woman she's so wise if you haven't listened to it we reference her a lot in this episode in fairness you're about to hear from her Um, but if yeah if you haven't listened to last fortnight's episode Go. But yeah, seriously. <laughs> Go listen to it. Yeah, <laughs> and she talks about protest as well. So she's she's there's quite a lot in there. It's definitely a partner to this episode. Yeah. They go together. This is Power and Privilege Part 2. Yeah. All right. So let's get on with it. Let's do it. I think privilege gives you access to power. Mm-hmm. That's the relationship I think they have. And because as a heterosexual black woman, I am privileged in that regard, it definitely gives me some sort of power over a transgender woman, for example. It gives me some sort of power over a um, differently abled person. And I think in that regard, I have to realize that there's something 
there's a way that I navigate the world, which is slightly less um, disturbed or interrupted than other people actually are able to move in the world. And I think just that recognition alone should be a form of inspiration for me to say, actually, I think I, I can get ahead better. You look at an underprivileged person in that regard and say, how can I help? And I understand that I have it slightly more easier than you. Therefore, I empathize when you can't run as fast as I am. So just before we reflect on that quote, we didn't really say who Liz is, did we? We didn't. Okay, so Liz is a South African entrepreneur and an activist. She is a founder of a beauty brand called Masadi Organics. You can find out more about this on our website and our Instagram page. The reason we found her is because she did this amazing TEDx talk called The Politics of Power, I think. Yeah. We've yeah. linked it in, again, if you go on Instagram, you can find it in our LinkedIn our bio. So much tech speak, Jesus. Yes. Um, <laughs> or just Google Liz Let's Swallow yeah, and Politics of Power. It's um, very easy to, I mean, I found her. Because Hannah I just found Googles. her. She's a total Luddite. So anyway, so that's, that's just a little bit about who Liz is. But then, yeah. That quote that we just heard. I think it's just a really solid introduction to the relationship between power and privilege. Yeah. Which is so important and is something that I think is lost in a lot of conversations about privilege. Like these two things are separated quite a lot. You think of power and you think of privilege mm -hmm. quite separate. And I really liked the way that Liz was linking them. Yeah. Because I think it is a more, both more realistic and more in some ways, empowering way of thinking about privilege and how it helps us or hinders us in terms of functioning in the world. Yeah. And especially in the current systems that we have in our world. There are systems of power in place to enable people with certain kinds of privilege to get ahead more. And that is obviously intrinsically to do with power. Mm -hmm. Now we know, and we should acknowledge what kind of where we're coming from in terms of talking about privilege and power, we're people who have quite a lot of it. Yeah. So I think that probably we haven't actually done a survey of who listens to this podcast yet because it's in quite its early stages still. But I reckon probably if you're listening to this podcast, you are able to identify without too much trouble some way in which you have privilege. And I think that that, is realistically where we're coming from talking in this episode. Mm -hmm. And we are going to cover quite a lot about how to function with privilege, like how to process it, how to accept it, how to think about it and how to take action yeah. with it. So that's something that Nushi's going to introduce now. People have difficulties talking about privilege, white privilege in particular. And the reason that this is, is because, you know, people see it as reductive in the sense that they're like, well, not all white people are privileged. You know, like in the UK, for example, the most disadvantaged group in British society are the white working class. They're much less likely to go to uni or have any kind of economic value. And so a lot of people look at this term white privilege and think of this this fact about society and say that like, how can you say white privilege exists and actually movements like black lives matter have forced us to look long and hard at at what white privilege means and realize that white privilege isn't about saying all white people have it better than everybody else in life across every single sector forever what it means is 
due to unearned things, for example, colour or things you're born into, due to the circumstances of your birth, you have an advantage over other groups. And that's all it is. And so it's Black Lives Matter and other identity political groups, if that's them, are super useful for forcing us to acknowledge the way our society is structured and reflect on how that should change. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's talking about how like how intersectionality fits into wider discussions. I just read the most wonderful essay that was, I don't know who it was written by, but it was entitled something very normal, like I, uh, I'm a poor white person in America and I still have privilege. And, it's one of, mm. you know, it's, it's a wonderful piece by somebody who's saying, the first time someone told me I have white privilege, I was so mad, like so angry. And then they go into all the, you know, things that they grew up with, very, very difficult circumstances, barely any money, and talks about how dare someone say that I have privilege, like I basically have nothing. And then they just say quite matter-of-factly and then discovered the term intersectionality. And then they just go through all the different ways that they do have privilege. But yeah. you know what I'm saying? is that she, she goes through all the different ways that she might, with her mm. sexuality, for example, she says that she's heterosexual and that she doesn't have any impairments. Like she has a lot of things going for her. And it, it felt as though in that essay that she was saying that it was it was just a relief to like understand that people weren't getting at her personally either or denying her experience mm-hmm. that it was more about understanding yeah the intersectionality of privilege and how she has been given certain advantages that she's been born well there's into. this you know a lot of like social workers and I guess social theorists as well the way that they say the best way to look at this and approach this and get over the defensiveness that we all feel because we all have some element of privilege and I think first of all that's the most important thing to acknowledge if someone says you're privileged, we are. We, there is. There'll be some way. Apart from maybe the most disadvantaged yeah. person on earth, you know, because because privilege is relative, <laughs> yeah. and so inevitably we all have some privileges and some ways we're not. And people get very defensive about you know you calling out their privilege because they think it means that you've had an easy life. That is not the case at all. And so the tool that these guys tend to use, which I think is really useful, is saying, in what ways are you disadvantaged? That's the best way into those kind of conversations. For example, if it were me, if I wanted to answer that question, I'd say, well, I'm a woman, I'm an ethnic minority, I grew up in a single parent household. But then at the same time, this follow-up question would be, in what ways do you have privilege? And once you've set that as a groundwork, i.e. dispelling the myth that you've had this super charm life, I could also say, look, I've been extremely well-educated. I have always had food on the table. I grew up in London, one of the most metropolitan cities in the world. Like I'm well-traveled. All these different things are actually, the point is our identities are so complex. And I think that's the easiest way to theorize intersectionality is if you look at yourself and split it up into those two different columns almost and look at how all those different factors make up you and relative to other people are both privileged and not privileged. So the (laughs) thing that she was making me think about first when she started talking about people having a real difficulty with white privilege made me think about a conversation. I had this conversation years ago. I'm talking like 2016, 17, something like that. Okay. And it was with someone that my housemate was dating at that time. And he 
was actually American. And he and I, I don't know how this happened. We got into a definitely argument. I mean, it was a discussion because we, you know, at the end were both able to be like, oh, you're still cool. Yeah. She broke up with him like minutes later. <laughs> um, but essentially it was an argument because he got so mad about this very thing that, that Nushu was bringing up about the idea of privilege, especially white privilege, mm -hmm. because he was just so adamant. He's a white man. Yeah. But he was just so adamant that working class people in America were so poor in many situations. And he couldn't understand that that's not what privilege is. I mean, for him, money and privilege w were interchangeable words. Yeah. The same thing. Yeah. But it took me, it, I couldn't articulate that while I was in conversation with him. It took me like 24 hours and I voice noted <laughs> my housemate being like, I figured out what he thinks. Because yeah. I know, I also know other people that, that say, well, X, black person or transgender person has X millions of pounds in the bank or is in X position mm -hmm. in our society. Therefore, how can they possibly lack privilege? And I think that's an interesting relation to what we're talking about, about power as well, because of yeah. course, money and power are very closely related. Absolutely, yeah. These things are tricky to navigate, mm -hmm. but yeah. it is really important to understand what we're talking about when we're talking about privilege. And it is not the same as talking about having a lot of money. Absolutely not. And or I, having very little money. Yeah. Like it's just not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And also, I think it's especially hard within recent history, because especially if you are a white cisgendered male that has been I think sometimes used as an attack like you're a straight white male and that's exactly how the guy that my housemate was seeing yeah like I used those words and he blew up at me yeah and they're not you know it's in some ways that's not a smart thing to do but at the same time that is his problem like yeah <laughs> and that is, yeah. but it's not it shouldn't be an attack in it. it yeah it shouldn't be and I think it's not a constructive way to have the conversations but it is also maybe if the aggression is taken out of it, mm. if you're talking to someone who identifies as all those things, it's for the person being able to recognise this isn't an attack. It's just things that are true. And it also doesn't mean that I haven't suffered. Yeah. I mean, it is something that when I think about it, I have my own ways in which... So we also, in that quote I spoke about this essay that I have banged on about in previous yes. episodes of this podcast <laughs> that you can find a link to in the show notes that is on intersectionality, basically. Yeah. And when I think about the intersectionality of my identity, i.e. ways in which I'm privileged and ways in which I'm not, mm -hmm. there are some ways that, as you've just articulated, I'm able to say, okay, well, that's just a fact about myself. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm now, and I actually always have been quite like, this is a weird way of saying it, but I'm fairly accepting of and comfortable with the fact that I'm white. That doesn't hurt me. or And also I understand the impact that white people have had and are having in the world and the, the role yeah. that I play mm -hmm. in a system that perpetuates my own privilege. That, that stuff has been shocking to really think about. And it has, of course, been uncomfortable but I haven't really gotten defensive about it. I've gone through the motions of getting sad and guilty before I move through to reasonable action. Yeah. However, I have for years and still have 
a problem with being posh, essentially. Yes, same. Yeah? I think that's a really hard, because I find that, you know, where you were just saying, if someone's like, you know, you're like throwing white male privilege at me as an attack or whatever. Mm -hmm. If someone throws... Posh. Posh. I don't, I don't know what class I would consider myself as, but that's probably because I haven't engaged, I haven't looked directly at it because I find that I do get quite defensive about class. Yeah. And it's such a big thing in the UK. It's also something I just haven't had to deal with because I've been mainly based out of America for the last couple of years. I've gotten really entrenched in race conversations yeah. <laughs> and have just left class conversations behind. So now coming yeah. back to the UK and especially working in, uh, as an actor, there's a lot of grants and opportunities at the moment that are trying to cast a wider net, trying to attract mm-hmm. more kinds of people into the industry. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of conversations about working class. Yeah. And I have found that quite a mindfuck, if it's I'm honest. It's not fun, is it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th- I feel like we are a bit, I say a bit, very obsessed with class over in the mm, UK. We are. And I completely relate to the defensiveness as well, because, I mean, I went to a, a musical theatre college over 10 years ago now. It was in Essex and it was in this town almost stuck in the 70s. And people were, like, obsessed with the fact I was from Oxford and they were like... Mm. We're going on and on about how posh I was. Why didn't you go to Oxford University? And also back then, I didn't really have any self-confidence and I was a much smaller person in terms of like emotionally and sort of um, the way I expressed myself. And so it felt like a really bad thing to be posh. Yeah. Um, Now I'm much more accepting of like, well, yeah, I, I speak like a posh person. And it's been interesting moving up to Scotland because I thought I'd experience a lot more like she's a posh English person. Yeah. And at Touchwood, I haven't experienced that at all. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's been really lovely. Oh, good. Well, um, <laughs> as we'd expect, really. Yeah, but that's and, great. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's nice. And I do experience it as well in the acting world. You know, we've had some discussions about acting recently and, yeah. you know, it's we have. It's rough out there. And I'm not someone who has a shitload of credit. So mm-hmm. I'm, you know, coming up against a few barriers. And frankly, being a middle class white person is not doing me any favours on yeah. the casting front. Well, thank you for saying that and being honest <laughs> about that. Because I think it's important that we name that discomfort that we have as changes are attempting to be made. And it's yeah. imp- and it's important to it's probably important for us to think about the impact that our discomfort is going to have on how quickly those changes are able to take hold in the system. You know, mm-hmm. if we're having it, everyone else is having it. And those people who have, I say those people, people like us who ha- who are in power in a lot of ways yep. due to our privilege. And as I said before, power and money are quite, I think, but that's, that's another thing for me about the industry, especially like if power and money are quite related, and we've already said that power and privilege are, are related, but that money and privilege kind of aren't. So it's kind of like a weird broken triangle that isn't yeah. actually a triangle <laughs> at all. But that that's why it's quite hard in the acting industry, mm-hmm. because we all get paid nothing. Yeah. And so, you know, I did this quiz online that was asking about my income, and then it was like, you're working class. And I'm not... No, <laughs> but it's but I still don't make. So you I don't make that, a middle class income. No, exactly. So I think that that's another thing in our industry. We don't feel 
that, I mean, we're just being really brutally honest here. Like, we don't feel zeitgeisty. Yeah. And we don't feel financially rewarded for not being zeitgeisty. Yeah. Which is the, the exact trap that this guy that I was arguing with yeah. all those years ago was falling into. Yeah. Because it, it's not about how much money I'm making or not making. Mm-hmm. It's about so many other things. I mean, we're probably getting a bit ahead of ourselves here because I think we're going to talk about this more in a little bit. Let's let's stop it there with all the like raw shit on the table <laughs> before we try and redeem ourselves. And let's hear again from Liz for a minute. I think one of the things that I started realizing was for some time or in some times, I see myself as an underprivileged person, right? But one of the things that then I come to realize is privilege is, um, is fluid. It's, 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 it's a spectrum, right? So in some cases, I am actually privileged. I'm a heterosexual, cisgender woman. In that moment, I start to realize my privilege. I'm, you know, I'm able, I'm bodied. I am privileged in that perspective. And I think once you look at yourself holistically and objectively and honestly, you start to realize small pockets of power that you might have that in some cases maybe you might not have realized. And one of the things that I started taking um, huge interest in is, is saying, actually, when we're talking about power, what are we talking about? What are these sources of power? That way it enables me to identify some of the powers that I think I might possess, right? The reason I was very interested in that is because I have experienced what it feels like to be powerless, to be helpless, to be disgruntled, to be to feel, you know, to, to feel like you, you just handed the, sh- the shorter end of the stick, to feel like you've experienced so much injustice um, in the world as a black woman in South Africa. You know what I mean? And because of that, I it didn't feel enough to say I recognize the injustice. It didn't feel enough to say, you know, I know what was done. I wanted to know if there was some sort of capacity in me to do something about it, um, whether to liberate myself, whether to liberate those I can around me and, you know, and move society forward as well. I'm glad we took a little break from our own class complaining to hear from Liz. She was speaking very personally and very openly, which was awesome to listen to. But if I'm thinking directly on the topic that we were just talking about about class and I'm twisting what she's saying like what Liz is saying is that she is genuinely you know she's felt powerless in certain situations and it has helped her to identify as an underprivileged person in many ways on paper it's helped her to identify her pockets of privilege and then related to that her capacity for power yeah so I think that you can do that as a privileged person as well so I'm just flipping it to talk about the class stuff that we were just talking about Rather than feeling disgruntled that the industry that I'm trying to work on doesn't seem to be focusing on me anymore when yeah. it was exclusively focusing on me before. Yeah. And feeling disgruntled that I don't make the, the, the money that my class position, you know, encourages me to make or whatever. Yeah. It's identifying pockets of power and recognizing my privilege helps to get me out of that unhelpful internal focus funk and move me to a place where I actually realize my realistic position in the world, which specifically speaking in terms of class, as rather than focusing too much on all the other ways that I also have privilege, Mm -hmm. right now, just specifically talking about that, I have had 
an enormous amount of resources, mm-hmm. huge levels of emotional support. Mm-hmm. There's a very helpful article that Lily Driscoll wrote that I can stick in those show notes that talks about class in just a really like honest, discursive kind of way. And she calls out people like us that are having this conversation about how much emotional support that we've had and how much support in terms of facility, like people driving us to places and giving us loads of opportunities when we were young and what that builds, what's the foundation that that gives us to move forward in life. So it's not, it's again, this is why it's so much more nuanced than it's just being about money. And I think for me, what Liz has just said about helping to recognize mm. the the places where I have been given power, it's been given to me and I should be really grateful rather than making me feel upset for some reason. Yeah. And in a very, very practical way, fucking love practical eggshells, the more I can recognize the power that I have, the more I feel I have a capacity to share it. Yeah. And I think that is what is really crucial about when you get all up on your high horse or in your scared discomfort place about someone else calling you out for having privilege that you haven't reconciled. It's totally understandable. We've just said we there's parts of our privilege that we need a bit more time to reconcile, won't it? Yeah. Fine. Totally fine. It's just that what that denies you the benefit of being able to do is harness the power that you literally have to empower yourself and then in turn feel generous enough to empower others. Empower others. You know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think you, I mean, you've kind of said all the things, Sorry. really. <laughs> but I no, got in a bit of a roll. And so was like, I'm just going to gonna, out. <laughs> I'm just gonna agree with you. But yeah, I think, like you say, I believe the first step is acknowledging and being brutally honest with yourself about like, yeah, there are some things that are, I feel a bit disgruntled about. It's human to feel that, but then find a way to work through it. And I think the only way you can work through it is go, oh, yeah, actually, that is, that's hard. Okay. Or like Nushi says, in fact, she said it right at the beginning. Yeah. Write lists. Write the ways in which you are disadvantaged. Yeah. And be like, yep, all of these things. And then write the list of all the things that you do have and all the advantages that you do have. Yeah. And I think that it takes you out of yourself. Yeah. And out of that kind of inner turmoil. Exactly. And brings you back into the reality of actually, in my personal life, I have huge amounts of privilege. I have the ability to not worry about certain things because of my upbringing. Yeah. My position in society. And inherited wealth. And we have the choice to impoverish ourselves as actors. That's a choice that we get to make. And we could just pivot. Like Mm -hmm. we could just pivot and start making loads of money in a what you know, what they would call white collar job in America. I don't know what that would be called here. You know what I mean? Doesn't really matter. But again, for me, it's all about it being empowering. And that's a really useful way to think about moving through it. I mean, what you're saying about the list, obviously, Nushi just said it, but the way you just laid it out there sounds to me like a gratitude journal. Yeah. We're always being told to be happier, look at what you've got and be more grateful for it. If you can see the ways in which you're privileged, Mm -hmm. you can be grateful for those things and then you can use them to affect change. Now, of course, the next step of that is if you're privileged in a system that is giving you some advantages and then you look at that, are grateful for it and then try and make change, you're going to change a system which is going to therefore disadvantage you, Mm. arguably. Now, is that the case? Shall we hear from some people and see what they have to say?
So partially, I think people disagree over white privilege because, as I say, it's an affront to their to something they don't have control over. So that's one thing: is why should they be insulted or, in a way, you know, they fear having to suffer as a result of something they haven't done? You know, we say racism. Someone who's born shouldn't be disadvantaged because of the colour of their skin, and we usually apply that to non-white communities. I think a lot of white people feel the same way about, you know, the same conversation. Why should they be seen as privileged because they were because they were born as a white person? And so it's actually quite, you know, in that way, it can be seen as quite offensive. And as I said, I also think it's that thing of acknowledging that white privilege doesn't mean that you are not disadvantaged in other ways. You know, like you were, you were saying about this article you read, there are a lot of cross-cutting factors that may, may be more, more important or less important depending on your life. You know, that's the point of acknowledging everyone's circumstances or your circumstances and seeing it in that way. But I think also there's this, you know, there's a concept of white fragility, which I think often feeds into these conversations, which is... Obviously, the theory that if you say, if you suggest to somebody, a white person, that their view is in any way racist or racialized or a worldview that, you know, doesn't see everyone as equals, people shut you down or won't acknowledge it or shy away or get offended or upset, which, I mean, we see a lot. And not just in racism, you see that a lot when people are confronted with something they don't like about themselves. And I think white privilege is very divisive more than any other because people don't have control over it. And I think that is often why people have an issue with it. Ouch. Yeah. (laughs) That last bit I thought was incredibly powerful on a much grander, deeper philosophical scale when she was saying when people are confronted with something they don't like about themselves. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that basically answers the question that I posited just before the clip, which is if it's difficult to let go of privilege, if you kind of look at the ways you have privilege and are grateful for those, and then like you give them up. Yeah. Or you try and give them up by actively working really hard to change a system that means that you have them in the first place. Mm-hmm. It really does come down to that grand, deep stuff. I mean, there's no other way of looking at it apart from that that's love and anything else that isn't that yeah. isn't worth having. Like, it's mm-hmm. it's not worth... Once you realise that you're perpetuating a system and benefiting from a system that privileges you over other people for no reason at all, yeah. then you have to work to dismantle that because if you're uncomfortable with the privilege you have, mm-hmm. then that's really hard to hold on to and yeah. you then have to let go of it mm-hmm. for your own benefit and as much as anything else because yeah. it is so much nicer to live in love and generosity than in having shit. Than in clinging on to yeah, something. Exactly. It's like, no, it's mine. Yeah, exactly. And, and also, all of that being said, I think there is this myth that say the people at the top of the food chain give up their privilege or help to change the system that they're going to lose all these good things they have but actually that's not true their lives aren't going to suddenly be terrible if they give up some of their privilege 
I wanted to pick up on what she says about the fragility. She speaks about white fragility, but I think you can apply fragility to male fragility or middle class fragility. Absolutely. We have to find a way to move through that because the fragility doesn't help anybody. And also on the change, I remember having a conversation with a friend a couple of months ago. It was just a general talking about different generations. I do think that especially now and within the sort of last 10 years or so, change in ideas happens at a much faster pace. Maybe that's because of social media mm-hmm. and our yeah. access to everything that I think anyone over the age of 45 mm-hmm. <laughs> is a bit like, whoa. So if you look at our grandparents, it doesn't surprise me that my 90-year-old granddad isn't quite up with the times. And no, totally. I'm not defending people over a certain age that, oh yeah, they they don't have to change their view. Yeah, yeah, they have a get-out-of-jail-free card or whatever. Um, but I... I guess I'm coming at it with a bit of compassion. Of Absolutely. I can understand that the world can seem even more now like it's going at 100 million miles an hour. Yeah. And they're like, how do I keep up? Totally. And it's not surprising that they want to stay where they are because, well, this is how I've lived for a really long time. Definitely. And it's worked for me. And it's yeah. like, of course it's worked for you because the system is built for you, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I completely hear that. And I think that you call out the power of ideas and how quickly those can move really nicely. Yeah. Liz actually talks about in the previous episode, talks about Eric Liu's six sources of power. And and one of them is ideas. And she calls it just such an exciting one. That's the the power source that she likes to tap into, the power of ideas. Mm -hmm. It's really potent. Ideas can be so influential and can create what feels like such dramatic change at such a dramatic speed. And it's what we're trying to do with this podcast. We're trying to be thought-provoking and give you ideas and maybe think about looking at things through a different lens, I guess. And it is very difficult, especially to think about what new ideas will exist by the time we have lived a life and and feel quite like it's scary, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, but it's important to know that we're all in a big system. It's not like we're finding all the answers or it's only at any point we're trying our best as individual human beings to that's all we can do is to acknowledge where we are in this moment in time and try our best to serve ourselves and each other yeah it's all sounding so lofty this week but I think honestly that's what we keep coming back to this was all this eggshell stuff is about it's like disagreeing with people and having relationships with people fundamentally comes down to all that lofty crap that's the whole thing of it and the idea of believing in change even if it's not possible and mm-hmm. connecting with human beings yeah even when it seems futile because the more that we hold on to fragility and discomfort the the more we get dickheads yelling on twitter you know <laughs> like yeah and just... also the, the more stagnant we become and just... that's no fun for anybody i totally know what you're saying the kind of oh it feels like we're being very lofty but I have found, oh, I don't know how this is going to go down, but I have found Whatever. We'll the, cut more, it out we the more spiritual stuff I do, I'm doing air quote things. Oh, yeah. Um, basically, what I think I mean is meditation. Yeah. And same. I am not a hardcore meditator at all, but I think that's the point. There is no right way to meditate. Mm-hmm. But the more I connect with, I guess, love and compassion, the Mm -hmm. more I'm able to come out of myself and and see the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. You're making a lot of big hand gestures. I am. Hannah just did like a globe hand gesture. She did a big loving hug gesture. You know, we should make a video as well. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. 
And that requires a lot of deep work. Yeah. And it takes time. It's not you just do a yoga class and you're like, oh, no, cool. I'm really grounded now. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, and, I'm, and it's an ongoing journey as well. And it will change. Mm -hmm. And your relationship with yourself will change and who you are will change and your relationship with the world will change. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, it's all about this. And it's the same thing, but I just use different words to think about it. It's a real sense of connecting with reality. Yeah. That's what's been very, very important for me recently, especially as reality has changed so much over the last couple of years. Yeah. With COVID making us rethink what we thought of as reality, the, the boundaries of my existence were entirely shattered. Yeah. And, it, you know, you think about a new normal, a new reality, and you think about that as your new daily activities, but it's also the new way that you the new way that you've built yourself up to be a human being our thoughts and actions well our actions I guess more than anything else are the things that we are that make up our identities and mm -hmm. if our actions have been necessarily changed then we necessarily have a different relationship with reality yeah and so for me meditation has been enormously about connecting with what is actually happening right <laughs> yeah. now and that comes back to this power and privilege situation because the more I connect with reality, the more comfortable and chilled out I feel and the yeah. more able I feel to affect change on my reality and the less angry I feel and the less mm -hmm. frustrated I feel and the more I want then to connect with other people, I suppose. Yeah. It's just so nice <laughs> <laughs> to see things as they are. Yes. And I think that the more that we connect with, <laughs> to tie it all back to what Nishi just said, the more that we connect with fragility around our privilege, mm -hmm. the less we're seeing things as they are and the less we're allowing ourselves to change and be connected with reality. Yeah, like it's, it's a human thing, but then move through it. And I think all of the lofty stuff <laughs> helps with that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we have gone very lofty and I do like on eggshells to give people some practical tools. So let's say that you have made your lists, you know, yeah, <laughs> homework for eggshells listeners. <laughs> Make your lists in what ways am I disadvantaged and advantaged? And then, you know, spend several years working through your yep. um, <laughs> points of privilege. And then when you feel like you're like, okay, so these are the ways in which I'm privileged. So this is the power that I have. And so... Now, what the hell do I do with this power? Yeah. I think Liz has some suggestions. I think there's one of the, I would call it tragedies of privilege, is that each time I talk to some of my friends who hold more privilege than I do, or who have more privileges in some, in some regards than other people do, they say, okay, fine, but Liz, what should I do? I don't know. Should I just walk around feeling guilty? And that is a very common question. I think that question shows frustration that I think I, 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 I feel sad about. But at the same time, it shows that actually we do not recognize the power that lies in holding privilege. Because as a privilege holder, you're able to move in the world slightly more um, easier than what other people would experience. This means that you're able to do more. I'll give you an example. When you're having police brutality protests of any form, um, what we've started to do in South Africa is 
all the white students will line up in the front. Why? Because the police doesn't touch them. That is privilege. And that is someone who recognizes their privilege as a point of power and knows how to use it for a good cause. And I think once you realize that, it's not enough to say, oh, I'm privileged, so I'm going to stand in the front and then, you know, no one will touch me. Of course, that also in itself perpetuates the injustice, right? To say, yeah, 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 white people are safe, black people are not safe. We're just going to stand in front and go home and then everyone is <laughs> But what happens in the event where actually black people are protesting and there's no white people in sight, we will continue to get killed. But essentially what I'm saying is there is the micro stuff, you know, initiatives call it that, where as a privilege holder, you can say in this moment, I am going to use this, call it perverse privilege, to the benefit of the of society. I'm going to stand in the front. I know I'm safe. I know everyone is safe. But there's also the hard work, call it the, the deeper work, the strategic work, the long-term work that requires us to genuinely dismantle whatever systems are in place that enable white people to stand in front of the police brutality line and be safe, whereas if, um, you know, the coin is flipped, we don't see that kind of safety. And I think once you also realize your privilege, it gives you empathy. And I think that for me, it's almost enough to look at the next person and say, I recognize that I have it easier than you. I think that is just enough. Because in how we assess, you know, ourselves, our aspirations, our achievements, oftentimes we look at everything with, our, with the lens of our life experiences. If you're an experienced person, you will say things like, you know, um, you're poor because you don't work hard. As someone who has um, seen a life in a village, a life in a township, a life in an urban area in South Africa, I will tell you some of the hardest working people I know are some of the poorest people I know. Why? Because it's not just hard work that gets people there. And I, I don't think this is news. I don't think anyone doesn't know it. But I think this is something that we do not communicate enough. Because, again, we're cushioned by our own forms of privilege. So that's made me think of two things. One is actually a conversation I had with somebody the other day where we were talking about the way that we think that arts organisations, I suppose specifically in the theatre industry, are responding to the present moment okay. in the UK. Mm-hmm. And they were saying that as a young queer person, they are finding themselves asked a lot oh, great, we're, we're so pleased to have you here. Can you just tell us what to do? They're being given opportunities sure. to like contribute to X, Y, Z panels or, or initiatives. Oh, good. You're queer. Fantastic. Come in to our room and tell us what to do. So they come into the room and they're like, okay, I'll do this work for you. I'll tell you what I need. And then they aren't being given those things then the panel who has asked for their opinion is going, oh, well, that, no, but that's that's too difficult. Surely you don't need that. Or that's that challenges me in a way that I couldn't, well, that's going to take too long, you know? The change I need is performative and it needs to happen sooner than the changes yeah. that you're actually telling me that you need. Well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> if I can't put it on social media, it does not exist. So, <laughs> so that's just something that I, don't, I can't remember exactly what it was that Liz just said that made me think of that, but is a way in which we as people with privilege aren't appreciating what you and I were just saying earlier about how long 
change takes. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're probably referring to when she, was it when she was talking about doing the deeper yeah. work. Yeah. It's just not, it's not enough just to, it, well, I mean, it's especially not enough to ask someone their opinion and then literally not listen to them. Yeah. Ask someone what they need and then ignore that need that's yeah. being expressed. In that way, that calls right back to what we were saying at the top of the, this episode about feeling like there are at the moment lots of call outs for like, oh, I want to speak to working class people in the theatre industry. I want to speak to queer people in the theatre industry. Mm -hmm. Well, they're not getting listened to. Like, yeah. It's just because there are those call outs and we're feeling then mm -hmm. our privilege is being held, you know, used against mm -hmm. us or whatever. Mm -hmm. People are being mined. Yeah. For a, you know, for a poster or for yeah. an Instagram post rather than given the opportunity to make an actual contribution. Yeah, rather than authentically being incorporated. We actually want to make this as part of a new, change the system. Yeah, yeah exactly. This just takes too long. It's yeah. not fashionable. It's inconvenient. Yeah. Anyway, so that's <laughs> why. Faff. Yes. Faff. <laughs> I mean, I just really related to when she at the beginning was talking about should I just walk around feeling guilty? And mm. I did used to feel that. I had this real phase where I was like, oh God, I was just terrible because I've just, you know, I'm privileged and I'm white and I'm middle class. And like, I kind of did wallow a yeah, little bit yeah. in that guilt. And I thankfully <laughs> feel like I've moved through that now. Yeah, yeah. But I, <laughs> it just took me a long time to get to a point now where I'm, oh, okay, actually feeling feeling guilty and apologising for just existing also really doesn't help anyone and doesn't move anything forward or change anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe I'll just get over myself. I say just get over myself, you know. But sometimes we need a bit of tough love. Yeah, I, I had to give myself a bit of tough love and be like, okay, you've wallowed now, Hannah. Let's not wallow anymore. Yeah. And as Liz says, she said, the more you acknowledge your privilege, the more empathy you have. Mm -hmm. I really feel that journey. I feel like I've been able to hold more compassion and hold more empathy by not feeling sorry for myself anymore and being like, yes, I do have these levels of privilege. I've now got more space to look at other people who maybe have less privilege. Than I. Thank you for saying that. It's, yeah, I mean, it probably feels better as well to not be yeah. in that, like, constantly apologising. Much lighter. Place. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly apologising is a very heavy load. Yeah. It's... <laughs> and on that empathy point, that reminds me of the second thing that I thought of when Liz was speaking, which was that I actually haven't read the quote. Just Twitter tells me that I should be angry about it. <laughs> Didn't Kim Kardashian say something really unempathetic recently she about work? Did. Because Liz was talking about work, wasn't she? This kicked off okay. on social media. I haven't read the full article, but we will link to it. Okay. I am just going to quote what she said. All right. This is amazing. Hit guys. me. Hit me. <laughs> I have the best advice for women in business, Kim says. Get your fucking ass up and work. It seems like nobody wants to work these days. Great. The Kardashians have been the subjects of harsh criticism over the years, but they've never been accused of not hustling. Kim bristles at the characterization that's followed her for years, that she's just famous for being famous. Who gives a fuck, she says. We focus on the positive. We work our asses off. If that's what you think, then sorry. We just don't have the energy for that. We don't have to sing or dance or act. We get to live our lives. And hey, we made it. I don't know what to tell you. There was Hannah's computer chiming in and saying... I disagree. 
<laughs> but we don't need to take that apart exactly because loads of articles have no. taken it apart beautifully, I believe. But fucking hell, again, it, it's everything that we're saying in this episode, mm-hmm. which is that having privilege doesn't deny, like she's getting at, you know, she's like, I don't know what to tell you. We've worked hard. Like yeah. everyone just thinks this was handed to me, whatever. This nuance is really important. Yeah. I'm not saying for a second that Kim Kardashian hasn't worked hard. I'm sure but she has. has totally missed the point. Yeah. <laughs> In thinking that her privilege hasn't had an enormous influence over where she has been able to get to in her life yeah. is just yeah. about the most limited thing. Do you know what? It's making me think of, I am going to go off on a slight tangent. All right, but it's fuck making, it, why not? It's making me think of the very excellent TV series Made that is on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Um, I've not actually watched it, but you keep telling me to. Oh God, it's so good. And it's got, what's her name? Margaret Qualley, who is the daughter of Andy McDowell. Um, oh, yeah. And they're, they're both in it playing mother and daughter. And it's oh, loosely based on a true story. And basically, she's, you know, a woman who tries to escape a, an abusive relationship. And she has no money because he's taken control of all her finances. And, you know, she's not a rich person anyway. And she has a child. And she has to go and work as a maid this shitty agency where she gets paid hardly anything and every single penny counts and she works so hard and has to try and also juggle this childcare that she needs to work to pay for the childcare and I can imagine someone like that character hearing Kim Kardashian say you just need to work harder yeah and I feel like that's exactly why it blew up yeah exactly because so many people are like okay Kim, I'll just go and work another job. Yeah, it's it's exactly what Liz just said about some of the hardest working people she knows or some of the poorest people she knows. Yeah. It's, again, money and privilege. Just th- this relationship, it just isn't what people think it is. In the same way that Kim is getting defensive because people see that she has a lot of money for what they perceive as not very much work mm-hmm. and therefore that they see that gives her privilege, mm-hmm. she is therefore saying... I'm going to reject anyone thinking I have any sort of privilege and I'm going to attach myself exclusively to the working bit where I've therefore worked and earned a load of money. Mm -hmm. And actually, two different things can be true. She can have worked very hard and also have had privilege. Yeah. And have those things have a... They can go alongside alongside each other. Great. (laughs) (laughs) So in sync there. So in sync! (laughs) But yeah, they they can both be true. Ugh. And... And it doesn't mean that if you do work hard, then you get loads of money. No. Life just isn't as straightforward as that, like, work hard and then you'll be successful. Well, no. I mean, it's not as straightforward as a soundbite, basically. Yeah. Maybe we should get Kim on the podcast and let her tell her side of the story in an hour. Who knows? But Maybe we should, should we reach out to her agent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, look, who did we have as guests? We had the wonderful Duncan. Ah, yes, Duncan. Okay. As a white cisgendered chap who thinks he's, you know, has mental health problems, you know, I now realise the level of my privilege through having worked on diversity all my life, having daughters who are very politically savvy in all kinds of ways. And I think if I have an answer, it's stay open, keep learning and constantly refresh the lens through which you're looking and be mindful and accepting and tender with yourself when you get it wrong. 
Mm-hmm. But for me personally, there's a huge issue around privilege. Mm-hmm. And that issue is that we don't have long to change some stuff. And uh, there is a big, there's a big thing in pro-sociality around we help our in-group, we help proximity, those we know. So if it's impacting someone, you know, on the other side of the world and they're about to have a bit of a flood, well, are we really going to do anything? Yeah. There's a lot of thinking done through effective altruism about how this works and what we do and what we support. But I think for me, for instance, it's very easy uh, when talking about social justice, for instance, that I'll give you an example. Oxfam publishes each year uh, a set of figures just before Davos. And it's, you know, this year, X billionaires own whatever percentage of the world because it changes each year. For me, that's too easy. It's too easy to blame the billionaires because, yeah, we have to do something about that and it probably has to be legislation. But we have to look at what is it in ourselves that is benefiting from injustice? Uh, What injustices are we perpetrating through our privilege? And what can we do to persuade those people to be different? And I personally believe we can't persuade anyone to be different unless we've rigorously looked at ourselves. Thank you, Duncan. Thank you very much. Calls back on a lot of stuff that we were saying earlier in terms of love and compassion. I think, you know, the word that he used was injustice. But if you care about other people, Mm -hmm. how can you possibly not try to affect change in a world where so much injustice, quite blatantly, exists, you know? Mm -hmm. And of course, that's very lofty and as I love this word apparently this episode lofty and as he says it's really impossible for us to firstly care about all the injustices that are happening in the world and secondly we tend to care very much more about our in-group I mean calling out what's happening at the moment Mm -hmm. with refugees pouring in from Ukraine to Europe Mm -hmm. and Europe going yeah we'll take you and us not behaving like that with refugees that come from other areas of the world over yeah. the last several years you know it's mm-hmm. ukraine are our in group mm-hmm. here in the western world so it's just much easier for us to say oh that that could be me yeah. in that city right now so therefore i can extend help to these people mm-hmm. yeah when duncan asks those questions you know what injustices are we perpetrating through our privilege and what are we benefiting from ourselves if we want to take it on that global scale there's also the talk of at the moment how are we moving out of this pandemic how are we bringing it to a close and I heard somebody say I can't take credit for this but neither can I give credit because I can't remember who I heard say this but someone was mentioning the other day that essentially there have been a lot of pandemics they referenced malaria as a pandemic now that is something that isn't familiar to us in the western world Mm -hmm. because we have tablets that we can take if we go to somewhere where malaria hasn't been eradicated we can take these tablets and then we don't get malaria uh, or, and if we do it's treatable mm-hmm. is my understanding of the situation but it's just to say that when enough medicine or technological advances scientific advances have occurred to keep the population of the western world safe mm-hmm. then that's when a pandemic ends 
for the world, yeah. which isn't true. <laughs> you know, or at least when we stop thinking about it. Yeah. So that's really the question. That rather, rather than when is COVID over, it's like, when do we in the West have to stop thinking about it? Yeah. Oh, God, that's so true. <laughs> this is why talking about power and privilege, I think, is really empowering. Mm -hmm. Because you can engage with it on so many different levels. And that's, you know, it's essentially what you, you can try and help on a lot of different and try and change the system on a lot of different levels. Yeah. Now, I don't want to cut too quickly to what David's about to say, because David's about to comment on that very notion about trying to help. But before we do, I just want to say, because I think this quote runs on quite naturally in his interview from a question that I've asked, but I've cut the question out here. So basically, for context, David is was at the time that we were doing this interview with him, a hospital chaplain at a London hospital. So his role was not as a therapist, but to sit and listen to people who were working at his hospital who were in need of an emotional refuge, someone to come and talk about the things that they were having to deal with mm -hmm. mid-pandemic. So David's in a position where people come in and, you know, spill out their worries. And I had asked him how he deals with that power dynamic that is in existence when someone vulnerable comes to someone in a position of authority. And I don't sure how he'd engaged with it before, but I think he engaged with it in a new way in this answer. Yeah. And so we want to yeah, share with you what he had to say because it was really interesting. I think possibly help myself never try and establish a power paradigm. I think you're spot on. There is one there because I, I am creating a space of trust and vulnerability and openness. And so as such, I could be very powerful and I could manipulate and I could be in a position where I could take advantage. But in order to, I think, I guess, keep me so far away from that mentality and not even want to entertain it for risk of accidentally or even intentionally beginning to become the power player in that room. I guess the way I've always framed it is I'm always wanting people to tell their story. I mean, storytelling in the sense of, I want to give you space for your experiences to be played out. Um, and the reason for that is because I, I want people to be able to hold their own experience very closely to themselves. My role, I don't actually then want to do anything with their experience. I don't want to hold it. I don't want to have power over it. Once they've left that room, ideally, they never think about me again. So in some ways, that's a quite a unique role that I have because I think the power dynamic never really starts to become a little more played out or malicious because, as I say, I just want them to have that moment to hear their experience and then to move on. Story is really important because I think it's key to reconciliation. This thing that I think for me sits at the heart of listening and power and identity that comes out of story or experience or hearing each other is so often that are a misunderstanding or a miscommunication or a sense in which opposition or moments of incompatibility start to bump up against each other and we start to become uncomfortable and we start to become oh I'm hearing what you're saying and it's clashing with what I've heard or it's, it's clashing with what my story means or my experiences that that's where we get back to this language we've been using about holding space 
about allowing others to tell a story, but to really then listen to it with no, with no paradigm of I'm going to hear your story and then try and shape it to my story. Or I'm going to hear what you've gone through and I'm going to fix the bits of it that I think are broken. Like in some ways, the reason why I don't try and fix people as I'm hearing them is because in some ways, and this might get to your PowerPoint, Lizzie, is that I have possibly made the assumption that, oh, I'm hearing you and I think you are broken. Thus, I am going to fix you because I am the savior. I am the, in that scenario, would be the worst of all things. Of the, well, the, I am the white male savior who holds this position of like benevolent peace sharing. And you, with your brokenness, have come to me to talk about yourself. And thus, I will fix you because I am coming with this very powerful position of like, oh, you've said all this brokenness. They're there. I identify that you are broken and thus you need my help. And that is exactly what my space can never be, because otherwise it's then powerful, manipulative and, and not what that space is for. It's, I've immediately started to take advantage. So for me, it's actually like, well, no, I can't ever assume that I'm going to give you something that fixes you and, and more that actually I don't think I'm here to fix you, because that would presume that I would know all the right things. And that sometimes is one of the hardest things for me is because I might see someone. I'm just like, mate, I really think you just need to look at it like this. And and I and I uh, yeah, as I say, I think in that moment I could become a bit. Oh, actually, who who said you were in control of this? Don't get me wrong. You have moments where they're like, "What do you think?" They have moments where they invite you in and they want your perspective, and that's a really lovely shared moment. But you always have to be really careful about like, well, I don't think I'm right. Like, I don't think this is the correct way to go about thinking. This is you. This is your experience and your story. there's a lot in that for me so some of what he said I thought called back to the anecdote that I told about the queer person working in theatre that I said earlier mm. where you might like he's saying ask people and then listen yeah <laughs> rather than as David put it, try and shape yeah. the story that you're hearing. And I think that that is a real thing for a lot of people. And we've already addressed what can you do as somebody with privilege. I think it's important to, to realise that so much you're like, oh, well, no, I'm, you know, I'm feeling guilty. What can I do? But then if you're only going to take the answer to make yourself feel better or to then promote your own work in some way, look, look, mm. we're doing diversity, like, that isn't that's like that's that's, that's pointless. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's and it's taking change, and it's taking advantage. Yeah, and then the other thing that he said, well, you know, that's one outcome, and then another outcome is to come at it from the idea of saying, okay, well, if I'm asking you to tell your story, and then my reaction to it is, I think you are broken, and I'm going to fix this in some way. Yeah, that calls back to another conversation that I had several years ago. We were talking about colonization and. What was so fascinating about the conversation was the person I was speaking with was saying, if we go and we bring medicine and technology to advance their civilizations, you know, mm -hmm. how is that not a positive thing? Mm -hmm. And my response was, well, you're just overlaying your narrative of what progress is and advancing things are. It's a very colonizer mentality to think, 
oh, you're broken and I know how to fix you or you're in need of some sort of advancement. And the thing that got through to that person at that time was when I said, you've got to take yourself out of the centre of the circle and out of the idea that you have the answer to all the questions because it all just depends on how you look at the world. And it's just you thinking that, oh, this is the way things should be done. It's not really listening Mm -hmm. to... Or even being in that case, being interested in the story that someone else is telling or the way that someone else is living their life or who they are, their identity, whatever. As as David said, we have to connect through our different stories, different being the the main word. Take yourself out of the equation because your story is not going to be the same as that person's story. Yeah. Maybe it goes back to what Nushu is saying about hearing things that you don't like about yourself or mm-hmm. things that make you feel discomfort. Mm-hmm. Talking about generations of grandparents who for years have lived life in a certain way. And now someone, lots of people are coming along and saying like, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, hang on a second. Mm-hmm. This has worked out absolutely fine for me. So my sister's getting to a lot of Twitter arguments recently. God. She got into one the other day. Someone asked what gender fluidity is and my sister gave an answer. And then a bunch of other people jumped on and was like, people who are gender fluid think, you know, I'm about to say something um, rude and incorrect about gender fluid people. If you don't want to hear it, please turn off this podcast. Um, People were saying on Twitter, oh, gender fluid people are mentally ill. My sister's a clinical psychologist, just to be clear. So she (laughs) literally decides whether or not you're mentally ill. (laughs) (laughs) The point is that It's exactly what you just said about the idea of discomfort Mm -hmm. and the idea of threatening privilege because labelling someone or something as mentally ill has historically been a way that we've gone, ah, I don't like this thing. Mm -hmm. Homosexual people being labelled as mentally ill historically, you know, we could... Hysterical women. Hysterical women. Fucking hell, Hannah, that one just hit me in the gut. (laughs) Exactly. It's such a dangerous, mm-hmm. awful thing that we do to each other mm-hmm. to say, there's something I don't like about you. So I am going to say that you are lesser, that I'm going to label label yeah. you as mentally ill or label you as uncivilized to tie it all around together. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think even... I'm, I'm in danger of going lofty again, though. <laughs> Fuck it, whatever. I just think it like also goes back to what Duncan was saying about how can you help other people without having looked at yourself. Yeah, yeah, it totally does. If you haven't looked at your own discomforts and all of the things that make you go, how can you possibly have space to help other people? Yeah. Unfortunately, there's a lot of things that make people feel uncomfortable. And I think you notice it with conversations about race, about gender, about violence against women. I mean, God, the list is endless. Yeah, (laughs) you're absolutely um, right. And I think it's, yeah, because it hits something in people that they don't want to go there. Yeah. Because it's hard Yeah, and it's uncomfortable. And, oh no, I guess a more general level, like, life is busy. We've got shit to get on with. You've got food shopping to go and get. And you've got to clean the bathroom and you've got to pick up the kids. And you've got to be like, oh, how am I going to pay my electricity bill this month? Yeah. So life... Or maybe we let life get in the way. I don't know. I don't have the answer. No, but you're right, Han. This is why we do this podcast together is because I introduced ridiculous parallels. But then you bring it back to how the fuck are we going to pay our electricity bills, (laughs) which is actually what matters on a daily basis. 
<laughs> and what like <laughs> what is the thing? That's the thing. This is literally the thing. This is the thing. Oh, you're so right. What what's our takeaways? I guess the obvious practical takeaway, Lizzie. Yeah. Is write a list. Write a list of yes. disadvantages and write a list of your advantages and have a look at them. Take yourself out of yourself and be like, huh. Interesting. I think that's a great takeaway considering all the, and I'll use it one more time, lofty <laughs> shit that we've talked about in this episode. I think that is a fantastic takeaway. Right, right. The ways you're disadvantaged and the ways you're advantaged. Boom. But on the lofty note. Oh, yeah? My loftier takeaway is. You love a lofty takeaway. I love a lofty takeaway. <laughs> is to move forward with love. There you go. That's lovely. It's the most important thing. Yeah. It's the only thing, really. What about you? No, I'm stealing your takeaways. They were good. Okay, great. <laughs> That's it. Wonderful. They're the main takeaways, guys. Uh, thank you for listening. See you next time. Let's sign out with Liz, shall we? Yeah. All right. See you, hand. Love you. Love you. Where we're struggling is communicating that privilege does not mean that you don't have any individual hardships, but genuinely speaking, the world is set up to help me succeed better than you. Whether I do or not is something else. That was Eggshells. If you liked that episode, then tune into others about how to disagree better by visiting our website or searching for us on your podcast provider. Please like this podcast, give it a five-star review and tell all your friends about it. Support for independent podcasts like ours is vital and we hugely appreciate it. If you fancy getting in touch, we're at helloeggshells at gmail.com. We love a chat. Eggshells is hosted by me, Lizzie Bourne, and Hannah Leach. Our sound designer is Andreas Petru, and our music is by Willard Hill and Andreas Petru. Big thank you to Bex Arthur and Marcella Terrable, as well as all the beautiful guests featured on today's podcast. See you soon.